Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,275. If you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always had. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, calling in from beautiful, sunny Daytona Beach, Florida, Mark Raffoff. Hey, Mark, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am strapped in, Mark, and ready to go. All right. Sounds good. Mark Raffoff is the Senior Director of Race Operations at IMSA. He has been involved in the professional motorsports for over 40 years, spending most of his time officiating for IMSA. From the early 70s through the 90s, and then in Grand Am from 1999 through 2013. He has been part of developing numerous sports car categories, to name a few, GTX, AAGT, the GTP, WSC, Ferrari Challenge, Firestone, Firehawk, Exxon World, Sports Car, Rolex Sports Car, plus prototype cars. Oh my gosh. Mark has been involved in the creation and updating of many racing circuits in North America, He's the current United States Delegate to the FIA, International Historic Park Racing Commission, and he is an honorary member of the Road Racing Drivers Club, known as the RRDC, here in the United States. Mark is currently the FIA Historical Race Car Commission U.S. Representative. And, as if he doesn't have enough to do, he's the co-author on an amazing new book, IMSA 1969-1989, along with past Cars yeah guest Mitch Bishop. It's about the inside story of how John Bishop built the world's greatest sports car racing series. Incredible book. I've got it sitting here on my desk. I love it. So, Mark, I've told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share maybe a little more about your career and your passion for automobiles and obviously racing? So, I uh, that's a great introduction. Thank you. I <laughs> had the pleasure of becoming a friend and I guess uh, as a kid of John Bishop, Mitch Bishop's father, who, as many people know, started IMSA in 1969 with the help of Bill France Sr. to inject uh, a business-like atmosphere to road racing in the United States. And so at a very early age, I worked for IMSA at the racetrack. And when I completed my university time, John, of course, offered me a full-time position. And the rest has kind of been a follow-through of that. So I've been lucky to see the sport uh, develop here in the United States from being a gentleman's pastime to today's current major marketing machine for many manufacturers and constructors and component makers and commercial sponsors with television. I mean, back when we started, there was no TV, motorsports or very little. Mm-hmm. There was no social media. There was no digital cameras. There was none of that stuff. So you Just know, a to stone see, tablet to, and a chisel and a hammer. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Going <laughs> yeah. to the race was a big deal. You know, people had yeah. to make a commitment. Oh, yeah. And now you can be sit at home and watch five of them on one day if you got right. enough computer screens. So I guess for me, the, 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 the exciting part for me is being able to witness and be part of this whole development of a type of motorsports in the United States, which is still the biggest car market in the world with the most car enthusiasts. 
and be part of that. And not only to see cool cars and a lot of car-related stuff, but actually deal with the people who help make that happen. So, you know, it's pretty much all I've ever done. So I guess if I had to do something else, I'd probably fail. But, you know, it's just been a wonderful story for me personally, but a wonderful opportunity to try and convey some of that back in, in this book that Mitch and I did about the early years of IMSA. Well, my goodness. I, I mean, I'm trying to get my head around here your history with this part of motorsports because you were like there at the beginning and all the way up to today. And as we look at it today, a lot of us just think, well, it's always been like this. But I know I go back to the 80s when I was living in Southern California and would go to the Del Mar Fairgrounds and watch the guys race around there. In fact, I I told uh, your cohort on this book here that my wife has really never been into cars very much. She, She loves my passion for it, but it's just not her gig. And I took her to that race, convinced her to go, and I made her a racing fan. I mean, she was so excited at the end of the day. I want to do that again. It was just the visceral experience. And and I say that for listeners who, like you said, we can watch it on our little mobile phones now when we're sitting at the beach. You got to go to a race. It's just a whole different deal. It's a sensory overload that you cannot experience any type of racing, whether you're going to NHRA or NASCAR, Indy cars or IMSA sports cars. Being there captures that excitement. You know, the sound, the smells, the visuals are nowhere near what you see on TV. They're so far beyond it. And I, and your experience is what we find today is once we get people to pick up themselves off the couch and go and not to, you know, depend on their phone and they actually go, they may know nothing about cars, but they come away jazzed up wanting to go again. And so that's, I think that's the strongest statement about the sport of motorsports is it's a, it's a participant. Now, a participant related, we try and make spectators or people who come to the events leave feeling like they're part of it. It's very open. You can talk to the drivers, you can get close to the cars, you can talk to people about the car. So Making that experience a personal one in real life is way better than getting it on a little screen on your hand. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why would you watch people dance when you could go dance, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah That's exactly it's awesome. a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, you and your team and over these years have done an absolutely tremendous job of engaging people in modifying the sport along the way. This is fantastic. We're going to learn a lot more about you, about that, and about this fantastic book. But first, As we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires smoking here on Cars Yeah. So, Mark, take the wheel. All right. So it's a classic um, that I think everybody's heard in some form or another. But in this business and in my career, pretty much if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always had. And motorsports and racing is all about innovating, creative thinking, and pretty much starting every day with a clean sheet of paper, looking at your world and what you're doing and figuring out how to make it better, which in racing translates, how can I go faster? How can I do something better? So that's driven me. I mean, I'm, I'm a lucky person, I think, because I get up every day and I'm challenged. I'm challenged by the people. I'm challenged by the environment. I'm challenged by the business of it. So for me, I just don't do anything that I used to do the same way. <laughs> yeah, it's always yeah. how to do it different. I always say that's the kiss of death when you work somewhere where the boss says, well, this is the way we've always done it. That's when you should find the door and go do something yeah. else if you can't convince that person to change. Or when you have people who say, I want it to be the way it was five years ago. Uh, oh, wrong yeah, answer. Sorry. Out the yeah, door. Yeah. 
it's move forward, 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 forward. That's the game. Except maybe my waistline, but uh, you well, know, there's, there's a way that. to do. That's a there's thing. a way to there's a way to do that too. You just got to work at it, right? You got to change what you're the, doing. Get off the couch. <laughs> that doesn't qualify as an inspirational quote. Okay. <laughs> okay, I, I won't go there. there. Okay? All right. <laughs> no, I'll stay away from that one. Well, I want to go back in time and start talking or talk a little bit about a story that instigated your personal passion for cars. I mean, for a guy that's been in the motorsports industry forever, there has to be a point in time, a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were a car guy. Yeah, very clear for me. So I think I'm about eight years old, 1966. Brother and I are walking down the street to the grocery store with my mother and and where we grew up in Philadelphia, North Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And as we're walking, we walk by the Ford dealership. Mom keeps walking. Brother and I turn left. There is a Ford GT Mark III, Ford GT40 Mark III, gold with wire wheels in the window of the Ford dealership. So from that that point on, not only, I mean, yes, I had a slot cars and all that. So there's already a little bit of a racing thing there, but that cemented me mentally to sports car racing. That Man, moment that doesn't do it. <laughs> clear in my mind <laughs> was looking at that car and both my brother and I went, you know, like, holy crap, is that cool or what? So this is 1966 at eight years old. And I think I continued to draw four GTs through my entire high school career doodling instead of actually studying. Uh, but, you know, that's the moment in my mind that I can remember today clearly. I even know where the place is today that that occurred. And it was just like we stood there. And I think my mom went a further block before she realized the two of us were no longer with her. <laughs> hey, we where'd my kids there, go? <laughs> exactly. Staring in the window of this Ford dealership, having had the opportunity to see one of these. That's the road going version of the race cars, obviously. Yes. But having to see one of these live was just a, a pivotal point in my life where I went, ah, I got to be doing something with this. I don't care what it is, but that's what I'm doing. And that's that's my moment. Yeah, I remember. Well, what a moment. I remember standing on the lawn at Pebble Beach a few years ago when they had all of those GT40s there. And I'm trying to remember which one, the gold car, who drove that car? You probably know, but... Yeah, um, that was the race cars. It was the top three at Le Mans, I think, that were making yeah. the tour for their anniversary. But this was a road car, an actual road car. They had to build uh, 50 of them to homologate them oh, to race. Oh, that's right, to, for homologate. So they, had a yeah, small exactly. block. they had a small block in it, a 350, 351 Cleveland, I think, in the back. And the race cars in 66 had the big 427 NASCAR motors. And, of course, that's the first year they won at Le Mans, one, two, three. But there was a gold one, a light blue one, and a dark blue one. And that was the big three at Le Mans in 66. But this was a street car, so this was... A daily driver, if you wanted to, but it had the Borani <laughs> wire we... wheels. I mean, the car yeah. was just spectacular, but it was that same gold that that uh, factory Ford car was at Le Mans. But just beautiful piece, beautiful Sparkling car. Sparkling eyes of little boys in a car yeah. store oh, window. Yeah. yeah, I love wet, it. Wet spots on the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mom, <laughs> please take me inside, please. Exactly. Well, you have seen a um, tremendous change and evolution in racing over the years. No doubt there's been some very high highs and some very low, challenging lows. I want you to take us to a place where you've had a big challenge, even a big failure in your career. It could be your life too, whatever you'd like to talk about. But the most important part of this is how you overcame that, how you came out of it, and what it taught you. Kind of walk us down that road, take us down that racetrack, if you would. Sure. So, you know, as we talked early on, I I joined up at IMPS in the very beginning and had the pleasure to work for John Bishop, who was a, a total visionary guy and a tremendous person to work 
not just for, but with, you know, I learned so much from him and the other people in those early years that congregated around John because we were all the like mind. So in the late eighties, John had some health problems and he'd been doing it for 20 years and he decided to retire. And in doing so, they also sold the company. So from the late eighties through the mid nineties, the company went through five sales in four years because it was a very it was a very strong company in 89 there were some significant worldwide changes if you recall there was a small war in the mid east in 91 there was a major economic downturn in 89 90 worldwide car companies were spending less money so we had some short term challenges in our little world and we had some longer term challenges of just to where where motorsports was going we struggled myself and my compatriots in the management side at that time, I took John's place as the president of IMSA in 1989. So I had to deal with all these new owners. And what typically occurs is people have a better idea and they see bigger pictures and they see bigger goals. And we'll get to that point later. And I think in another opportunity, but the struggle was to try and keep the, the philosophy and the integrity of John Bishop's company and what it stood for intact through difficult economic times and difficult internal political times. And I guess the the lesson I learned was is there comes a point where you have to say, you know what? This isn't working. So I left in 1997, 96, I guess. And I went to work for Jean-Piero Moretti, who was the founder of the Momo line of accessory oh, products. Oh, yes, fairly yes, famous. yes. Oh, Raced yeah, a fairly. Ferrari, <laughs> long-term friend of mine. And we, I managed his uh, Moretti racing business with another guy here in the U.S., uh, as well as made some indoor go-kart racing tracks in Europe and here for him. So I did that for two years until I was called back to Daytona by the France family to to start Grand Am. But what I learned was the day I walked out the door, as much as my life and my personal being was connected to IMSA, the day I left, the weight off of my shoulders was so obvious, not because of the racing part, but because of having to deal with continually disruptive ownerships. And you know, when you do something like that, whether it's a failure or a success, once you do it, you feel, and I do that now in little micro situations, you need to make a decision, you make the decision, you know right away once you've done it, whether it's right or wrong. And by doing that, I think I've learned in, in a smaller scale thing to recognize the situation of you got to make a decision. Back to my first thing. If you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always had. If you start there and you have a difficult decision, whether it's personal or business, you got to make the decision. So you got to right. do something. Doing nothing doesn't get you anywhere. So, you yeah. know, I learned that making it was a, the right thing to do. It led to bigger and greater things, and as the story continues, brought me right back to where I am today, which is in the same company, working for the family that helped John Bishop start it, which is the France family in Daytona. And, you know, it couldn't have been a better scenario with a little segue there for about a year and a half, working for a very, very spectacularly fun guy, which was John Piero Moretti and the Momo brand and what they did. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, the Momo brand. I had a Momo steering wheel. My car McGee back when I was in high school. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, shift knob, and then there was safety gear for racers, and then it was carbon fiber skateboards, you name it, they had it, you know? Yeah, they did it all. You know, yep. my dad taught me a really, he taught me a lot of great lessons, but one was, it's one thing to know when something's wrong, it's a quite another to do something about it. And so many people just hang on, and they just know in their gut, something's got to change. And 
They, I think they hope it, someone else is going to make the change, but typically they don't. You've got to make the decision to change. So I, I love that story. Thank you for walking us through a very difficult time. Uh, maybe somebody out there listening is going through something similar and will make a decision today that will change their lives for the better. So great inspiration there. Let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle and maybe share a memory you have about that ride. So back again, my brother comes into play also. Um part of my life because the two of us got into this uh, at the same time and he eventually got a real job working as an IBM engineer for 40 <laughs> odd years. Yeah, but he still worked for teams at races, you know, through the, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And now still, he actually works for this company now at Ferrari Challenge events as a part-time official. So, great guy. But anyway, some point in early 70s, he was going to Georgia Tech to get an engineering degree. And he came home to, uh, at that point, my, I still was at home in high school with my parents in, in Boston. And he came home with a 1966 911, which was one of the very Ooh, early yeah. lightweight two liter Porsches. And of course, we spent the summer cavorting around the Boston area and going to the beaches in this wonderful little white 911. And it had wood dash trim and it had the the lead blocks in the front bumpers to keep the nose down because it was (laughs) the nose down. Exactly. And those early cars were that way. It wasn't an S or an L. It was just a straight 911, which, of course, will come up again in another scenario. But so we we had a great time with it. We tinkered with it. We tuned it. We we basically played with that car and, and took it to the races in New England at Briar and at, at Lime Rock and Watkins Glen. And uh, so we kind of had a great summer with that, actually two summers with that car. And so the, the, the great story about it was, is the damn thing had six Solex single barrel carburetors. Mm, yes. Not, not Weber's, okay? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. If, if you could tear your hair out at 17 and 18, this thing would do it because we finally determined there was simply no way they would all suck the same amount of air. At the same, you know, <laughs> properly. So the, yeah, we just left properly. it the way it was and gave up trying to get it right. And yeah. even the Porsche guys said, yeah, you know, that's kind of hit or miss deal. So yeah. that's why subsequently they went to triple throw Weber's on them. But so <laughs> that, that's my tale of spending <laughs> countless hours in the parking garage under the Prudential Center in downtown Boston trying to tune these carburetors. Tough to deal, work yeah. the same way. Yeah, it just wasn't possible. <laughs> so yeah, we, we I just know. gave up. So that, that's the, the love-hate relationship you have with a car like that. But other than that, it was a ton of fun, and we just had a great time in that car. Wish had it today. Well, those cars, yeah, I think that's going to be the answer to my next question. But those yeah. cars for a long time are kind of the the long hoods, as they called them, although it was a short wheelbase car, yeah, yeah. Uh, weren't that re- loved because uh, 6970 came along. They stretched them a little bit, and that car's yeah. handled better, of course. Yeah. Still had terrible oversteer, but not as bad, bad as the yeah. other ones. But does that lead us to the seller's remorse story? Is that is that a ride you wish you had back? Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, yeah, as much as that was the basic car, to see one today in its original configuration, because so many have been hot rotted and changed and the fenders flared, bigger engines put in them and wider wheels, tires and better brakes, all that stuff. To go back to those, you know, those late 356s and early 911s in their original classic configuration, it's kind of a beautiful little car. Yeah, they really are. I, I spent last week at John Wilhoyt's well, a day last week, uh, John Wilhoyt, he's a restorer of Porsche 356s and early 912s and even early 911s. We were shooting a episode of my new Cars Yeah! TV show, and he had some of those there. 
uh, even a Targa um, early car, which, uh, yeah, they become so special. So, well, memories are grand. Uh, I had a, a 72S for a long time, a wonderful car that I wish I hadn't let go either. But uh, we move on, and let's move on and talk about this new book a little bit, because your cohort in crime, Mitch Bishop, was on the show uh, about a week or so ago before we're lucky enough to have you here. I'd love for you to talk about why you got involved. I think I know why, but why you got involved in this. And this book, I'll tell our listeners, remind them, 372 pages. This is giant. And I got a copy from the, the publishers, and it's just so much fun to go through. I mean, there's so much there. So how did he drag you into this? And, and what was the experience like for you? Well, it goes back to uh, Mitch and I are about the same age. And during the early years of IMSA, we were both, uh, I was working at the events while I was at, in, in college, and he was too in the summer. So we pal around. We've known each other since that time, uh, the early 70s. So I worked his his middle brother I worked with for almost a decade at IMSA. So I, I've been close to the family for a long time uh, as almost part of it because the bishop's conveyed that family atmosphere, not just to the people that worked for and with them, but also to the entire paddock. People could go to John and Peg and was like a second set of parents. So they were wonderful people. So I had this family connection. I took John's place. Obviously, we were very close uh, business-wise. And as I mentioned earlier, he taught me an awful lot, as did the other people that worked there. We had a really close-knit, creative, exciting environment for for 20 years. So it it was great fun. And uh, so we got going on this book because John and Peg retired down here to Florida. Impsa, in one of its sales, moved from Connecticut to Tampa. So they were in Ocala, which is a couple hours away. So I tried to periodically visit them in their retirement just because we were close. And then as time went on and I moved from Tampa over to Daytona in 2000 to start working again for what was then Grand Am here in Daytona. I started going up there thinking about the future, and I'd go up there on maybe one Friday a month, and we'd sit and just BS about stuff we did and how we did it and the stories behind the scenes, and I recorded it all. And by the time it was oh wow, a few That's years awesome. into this, yeah, I had yeah. tons of recordings of just conversation. So a lot of the personal things you see in the book from John are actual quotes of us talking about it. And of course, I had my own notes and my own experiences and my own personal view of things in those 20 years. And Mitch had his superb family perspective of growing up, of being one of his children, and then also being involved, and then being kind of part of that family, even though he had a real job in California doing something else, So and a, and a racer himself. So we we got to the point, you know, John and Peg were getting up in the years, and I helped Mitch convince him to move to California so they could be closer to him and his family there instead of being here in Florida. They did that. Uh, I think a year or so later, his mother passed away, and then a year after that, John passed away. So it's after that, John had sworn to me that I can't write a book about him and that we shouldn't publish anything until he had passed away because he didn't want anybody following up with what we might have written in from those <laughs> conversations, which is kind of funny. Yeah, smart guy. So Mitch, Mitch and I and another guy who would help me, D.C. Williams, who's a local motorsports journalist here from Daytona, who also helped me in doing a lot of the recordings and joined me for a lot of those times and, and, and lunch afterwards. Um, we kind of 
got to the point where, you know, Mitch said, what are we going to do? And I said that we need to write a book. We need to write this down and we need to involve all the people who else were there. It's not about us. It's about the organization, what it stood for. It's about John Bishop, specifically his wife, Peggy, how they came from very simple roots and creativity and vision. He was a generation from the Second World War veterans to Korean War veteran to getting in the Sports Car Club of America and ultimately ending up starting Ibsen 69 with the help of Bill France Sr. And, and then what he created both at the SCCA before IPSA and afterwards in IPSA fundamentally put sports car racing on the map worldwide in every category. Formula 5000, Can-Am, Trans-Am, IPSA, GTO, GTU, GTP, you know, so the guy was just the, the driving force. And what's unique is many of the business practices and principles that we use today he thought of back in the 70s, and that's how we started. And this book, I think, if you've read it, and those that have it or would like to be interested, really tells us about how this all went down without TV, without a lot of the things that we count on, without social media today, in an era where sports car racing just blossomed, and the technology, the cars were amazing, fast, okay? <laughs> yeah, uh, scary fast, in, yeah. In the middle, middle 80s, wherever we shared with IndyCar, the GTP cars were actually faster at Road America, at Laguna Seca. So they were the biggest, most powerful cars that probably ever raced. And if you put them on today's tire technology, they would just be completely nuts. Um, so we, we made spectacular stuff. That And what was great was the process. And the book talks about the process. How did we get there? What went on behind the scenes? How were the relationships with the FIA, which is the world body of organized, organized motorsports? How was it with the manufacturers? How was it with the drivers? And if you, you you get into it, there's a lot of background to it and a lot of personal anecdotes from great drivers and other people who were involved who talk about IMSA and what it stood for. And the fact the bottom line was it was an organization that gave a lot of car people the opportunity to make a living doing what they loved. And I think that's the strongest statement about that book. You know, there's a couple things that come to mind here. And one is, and I'm really glad you brought this up. You could call it, in a secondary way, a business book, genius in marketing and bringing things to a market and even things that people didn't even know what they, what they were going to like. They end up liking it. Yeah. That aspect of it is fascinating. But more so, uh, the comments you made about John Bishop and his, his integrity, his humbleness, his genius, and who he was, the fact that, no, this book isn't going to be named me. It's, it's about what we built together because it's a team effort. Racing's a team effort. Really nicely said. Uh, this is really cool, Mark. And uh, I've got to remind people, I'm going to put a link on his show notes page here in the Carsier website, how you can get your hands on this book. Because if you have an automotive library, this needs to be on the top shelf for sure. It's uh, absolutely brilliant. It fires me up. And having been a part of it is I think you and I are pretty much the same age bracket here, uh, having grown up around it and watched it evolve over the years. And for me, it's fascinating to just how do how do they do this? Because when you just go into races, you don't think about the business side, but it's a huge business, and it, it, it wraps itself around massive number of other businesses. You just look at Indianapolis Racetrack and then all the business businesses say in Indianapolis around that that are supporting that. 
It's absolutely fantastic. Well, bravo to what you guys have done. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope others that do have a chance to see it enjoy it. You mentioned the size. It could have been twice as big. We had to kind of trim (laughs) it back a little bit because you can't carry it. You know, it's it's getting to that point. So, but it's a great piece. It It looks great. You know, I got to give Octane Press a, a great plug here if I can. They definitely they took our they took our manuscript. Mitch and I did ninety nine percent of it, including sourcing the photos and most of them in it are unpublished before. Mm-hmm. And we put it all together, told them where to put stuff, wrote the captions, all the above, and gave it to their designers and expected it to be one thing and the designers looked at it and created what they created. And I think they did it justice because the the, oh, yeah. the presentation of it inside is it's really a beautiful book and we're very proud of it. Yeah Octane Press uh, those list We'll put a link to their website, too, because uh, they produce some fantastic automotive books. Just really nice stuff. I'm a designer from way back, and I really appreciate the design and format that they did this book, because sometimes you get all excited and you open a book and go, oh, what happened here? So, no, there's no disappointments. No disappointments in any way. Well, Mark, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors that make this all possible. Hey, fellow automotive enthusiasts, you know I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products since 1975. That's right, all the way back to my high school days. Want to keep your vehicle's exterior and interior looking new? It's easy with a Covercraft car cover. A car cover is the best way to keep your vehicle looking great for years to come. Car covers protect your paint from fallout, birds, dust, rain, insects, and pollen. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. I use my Covercraft car covers every single day. Right now, you can get 10% off all Covercraft custom car covers or their ready-fit car covers. Plus, they offer you over 15 quality fabrics to choose from. Their spring sale is from April 15th through June 16th, 2019. Order direct at Covercraft.com and tell the Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from the Cars Yeah podcast. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? That's right. Cars Yeah is now on MAV TV. I visit some of the past Cars Yeah guests and take you along for the ride. Go to MavTV.com to learn more where you can enjoy Cars Yeah TV. MAV TV is also available on DirecTV, Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through MavTV.com online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. All right, Mark, we are back. And before I jump into the last lap, the lightning round, if you will, I have a very introspective question for you. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, could be a truck, a race car, street car, whatever, could be a skateboard, I don't know, uh, you had actually manifested into a vehicle. It's not about what you want to be. It's about how you perceive yourself. What would Mark be and why? 
Uh, okay, this is very very internal. Yeah, um, so <laughs> yeah. I, I look at myself as about a 1991 or t- 92 Nissan R32 Skyline. Oh, because it's a okay. nice, comfortable go to the grocery store driver with all wheel drive, twin turbos in series. Doesn't attract a lot of attention. Really fast, great car. Had the pleasure to drive. It'd be right hand drive, of course. Um, had the pleasure to drive them in proper. Japan and yeah, thought, proper. even back then, yeah. you know what? This is me because you could put your golf clubs in the back as well as your groceries, and you could still blow off just about anything in a straight line on the highway <laughs> today. So that, I that's knew it car. had to be that's something me. pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I think you're the only one of those two out of. What, 1,275 people here? That's pretty impressive. So uh, <laughs> They came up with I, that one? Okay. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, very yeah. nice. You put some thought into that. I appreciate it. Yep. Well, we are entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that Skyline throttle. So here we go. <laughs> What's the best automotive advice or racing advice you've ever received? Buy low and sell high. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> all the yeah. time. Cars are like a lot of other things. You, you, If you're going to buy and sell them, you got to get them at a good price. And once you get them at a good price, if you get the right ones, they're good. And it's the same with race cars. If somebody comes in and wants to buy your race car, they're like boats. You sell it and get another one. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that thing about a hole in the water you throw money into? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Race cars are the same thing. So if somebody says, hey, I'd like to buy your car, sell it. Sell it. Move on. Yeah. yeah. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes? I think it's having a a lot of respect for your history and knowing where you've come from, which has been easy for me because I lived it. But so many people get into stuff and they really don't understand how what they're doing got to be the way it was. And Ah, even today in this building where you have NASCAR and ISC and IMSA all together, there are people who came into motorsports in the 90s with very little perspective on what the France family did in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the building of this great speedway across the street from our offices in Daytona. And and I think that gives you a perspective on today that, uh, you know, if you don't know your history, you're destined to repeat its mistakes. And I'm very strongly anchored in that, which is I'm the guy around here that goes, hey, you know, we tried that 10 years ago. Wasn't a good idea. And here's why. You know, so I think that that's that's a, a mantra that I live by here is understand where you came from and what it took to get to where it is today, because it's a lot of work by a lot of people in different times and in different ways. But that's really important to me. And it's contributed a lot. Well, and it works in every single aspect of life in the world, too, Correct. every yep. single time. So It's true all the way. Yeah, it is, for sure. Do you have a resource you'd like to share with our listeners that you're fond of? Yeah, well, besides my book. Yes, <laughs> you know, that is an awesome IMSA. resource. IMSA.com is a, is a great website that talks a lot about, obviously, about the business I'm in and our kind of racing. Um, motorsports.com is another uh, site that covers racing worldwide, beautiful imagery. Um, and, you know, from either of those, you can link to another stuff. But, uh, you know, we tend to live and breathe one and only one thing here, which is car racing. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's where my focus is. Um, and I think, you know, people-wise and blog-wise, uh, there's a guy named Marshall Pruitt at Racer Magazine who does a great job with, with racing-related blogs and racing-related um, Efforts, information, written information. Efforts, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Racer, Racer Magazine is probably the American best uh, publication, but it's kind of a glossy. It's a nice publication. It's not for the latest news. The latest news because this game changes so fast is definitely an online process. But uh, so Racer.com is a good place. Um, IMSA.com, and you'll find a lot about all kinds of motorsports on on, on some of those. So uh, that's my thought about if you want to learn more about what we've talked about and what we do, that's the place. Yeah. Those are the sources. Great. 
Now, if I could wave a magic wand and arrange for you to sit down and have a drink with anyone in the automotive or racing industry, living or deceased, who would that individual be? Oh, that's easy for me. Enzo Ferrari. Ah, yeah. Wouldn't that be something? Now, if he'd just tell you everything... You know, out loud. I mean, he tend to keep his cards pretty close to his vest. From what well, that's I've why you'd have to have, have more than one drink, perhaps. Ah, you know, you a couple of Chianti's, bottle or yeah. two of Chianti, <laughs> and maybe you'd get yeah. somewhere. But I, I was alive and in the business when he was still alive, but never had the opportunity to meet him. I know Piero is his son fairly well. I've done some projects with him, but um, you know, it, it, just a fascinating guy who, again, came from virtually nothing, survived World War II. And, and started probably the most iconic car brand in the world. Yeah. By himself. Incredible story. You know? Yeah. I know. Just fascinating. Yeah. Now, how about a book? I'm kind of guessing there's a book that you'd like to promote here. Yeah? That's kind of, yeah. Uh, the Impsa 1969 89 book is, like I said, it's the best. I'm biased, but I think uh, the feedback, the reviews, um, everybody has complimented it immensely as being a true representation of what Impsa and what it stood for is all about. So, Again, uh, listeners, if you're interested in sports car racing's history and how it grew to be what it is today, this is the place to go, and it probably supersedes any other efforts by anyone else, only because patting myself and, and Mitch on the back, we were there. We lived it. Yeah. So yeah, we tried the guys to tell the story it. as we saw it, <laughs> and, and I think uh, I think we did all right. You did more than all right, my friend. Uh, incredible, incredible book. Absolutely brilliant. And I'll remind our listeners, you can find links to this book on Mark's Show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just go to CarsYow.com, type in Mark Raffoff. His last name is R-A-F-F-A-U-F, fine German name. Now, in Germany, how would we say that properly? Raffoff. Raffoff, Auf, yes. Auf yes. instead of off, okay? So, yes, yes. Yeah. With some strength in there. There With you little, go. Uh, yeah, a little accent to it. Yeah, <laughs> a little punch, sure. exactly. Yeah. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to be very nice to you, Mark. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car or vintage race car in the world. Doesn't matter who owns it. I'm going to park it in your garage down there in Florida, but there's a couple rules to this game, like a lot of things in life. First and foremost, you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. I want you to drive it and enjoy it. No garage queens allowed here in Cars, yeah. Cars, yeah. And it's the only cool collector car that you can have in your garage. So choose wisely, my friend. I've put thought into this as well, and for me, it's a it's pretty easy, and I'll explain why. But I would pick a Ferrari P4, which Ooh. is the sports prototype of its day in '67, four yes. liter V12, 430 horsepower. But I pick it because, as a race car, then it's the ultimate cool road car now, and and you could drive it every day. Uh, there aren't very many of them, so it'd be quite expensive on your budget there, but. Um, it is, to me, the finest example of a road-going, capable race car, both in style, beauty, and performance that you can get. So, oh, that's man. Choice. you picked, And I think you, you know the car, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You picked one of the sexiest cars on the planet Earth. Uh, I believe uh, you may know James Glickenhaus. Yes, I do. Yep. He's yeah, done a couple... Yeah, versions of it but you know of that car yeah, yeah. exactly and uh i also know two of the three guys that own two of the three that exist i think there's only oh, good. Two left, four left so well, just just send me their phone number so i can I'll call them up and write them a <laughs> yeah. big golfer's check or a big winning imsa check when those giant things the, the beauty queens those, hold up there pretty, yeah pretty spectacular oh my goodness yeah you're not a cheap date mark uh mm. this is gonna cost me a <laughs> so, yeah, I think the rest of the year's budget just got shot out the window. But I tell you, 
you, you, you've got some taste in you. I'll tell you, buddy, that car is one of the sexiest things on the road. I mean, there's, there's a couple cars on my bucket list of world sexiest cars that I, I doubt seriously I'll ever own any of them, but it's nice to dream. That is one of them. Yeah. It's just, uh, oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> you have taken us on a great ride around the track as I knew we would today. Really enjoyed getting to know you better. I want to thank you for sharing your incredible life's journey. My goodness. And still living it today having fun, being involved. Could you give us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into that Florida sunset in your very own 67 Ferrari P4? I'd love to. Uh, So, you know, final parting, uh, we talked about it a little bit. If you've never thought about going to a race and you can, go. Because, you know, as things progress, you know, who knows what we'll be doing in 10 or 20 years from now in that regard. So it's the last of the great competitions where it's person against person, somewhat car against car, but men and women could compete equally. There's no female class and male class. There are a lot of great female race car drivers now, and there have been. And, you know, the cars are exciting. If you, if you, even if you're not a car person, you go particularly to an IMSA race, every premium manufacturer, we have 17 manufacturer partners from around the world. Their premium products are demonstrated on the racetrack by professional teams and drivers. So you will see the coolest cars, but I don't want to belittle stock car racing or drag racing or anything, but we, we talked about it earlier about the sensory overload that the event itself provides is a unique experience. It's not like going to a basketball game. Okay. It's way different. And I think, Anybody who hasn't done it or is a fan or follows it on TV or his phone should take the opportunity to, to break away from that electronic media and experience it personally. And I'm not just talking about IMSA racing. I think what we do is very cool because of what we do it with, which are really the world's cool cars. But, you know, any motorsports, uh, even bike racing um, is, is a spectacular um, kind of, you know, I don't know what the word is. It's it's still a high-risk game. You know, safety's improved dramatically, but, you know, we're racing cars here. It's like, how fast can you go and how good can you make it get there, you know? And, and that, that challenge is, is just not conveyed on social media or on TV. No, Being there, you be see there. that. You see that. You smell it. You hear it. So my advice is if you've never gone, go. Um, some of my mantras stick with that. Sometimes you got to make a decision, make it. And if you do what you've always done, you get what you've always had. <laughs> so. I love it. All pearls of wisdom. What's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you and your world? Um, obviously, IMSA.com. Uh, IMSA.com is, is a great website that covers um, the WeatherTech Sports Car Series, which is our premium series, the Michelin Pilot Series, which is a production car series. We also sanction the Ferrari Challenge, which is a spec 488 race cars. We do Porsche GT3 Cup, which are Porsches. We do the Lamborghini Super Trofeo, and we do a seventh to six series. We have two Porsche Cups, one in Canada that we operate and one here. And then we have a, a final series, which is what we call IPC, which is a small LMP3 uh, V8 powered prototype, which is also a standard type of car. So we have developmental series. We have ways that you can be uh, involved early on, uh, go to driver training. And if you can afford it, it's not cheap, um, but there's entry level programs all the way up to the WeatherTech series, which of course is represented by the Rolex 24 at Daytona this past weekend's uh, 12 hours of Sebring. Next event for us for that series will be at Long Beach and as partners in the IndyCar race. 
And then we travel on 10 or 11 more through the course of the year. And, uh, you know, WeatherTech's a great sponsor. They make a great car product. I got to put a plug in for them. Uh, their floor mats and even their pet bowl things are. Yeah, just, yeah their new pet they, bowl venture. They, they, <laughs> they do great stuff for cars yeah. uh, as well as your pet. Um, yep. But, you know, great sponsor, fits with us perfectly. Um, great product, made in America. Um, great partnership to have with WeatherTech. And sometimes people, the biggest disappointment is they go online looking for, you know, mats for their F-150 or something, and they're unavailable because they can't make them fast enough. So, but <laughs> be patient because it's worth it. Yeah. You know, the stuff they make is, is really good. And, you know, basically, uh, we we uh, we have that. We I mentioned the other ones, uh, Octane Press, about the book. Uh, you'll put a link up for that. Um, you know, you can Google from the book if you ever get the book and you can go on Google and look up individual drivers names and racetracks that we don't race at before and learn a lot of history because there's a tremendous amount of information now on the websites of the world about what IMPS has done, where we did it with and what we did it with and the people who did it. So uh, that's all good as well. And, you know, motorsport.com, racer.com, all you know, solid platforms for motorsports information. So follow Absolutely. us, follow us, follow everybody else. But uh, if you get the chance, go to a race. Go to a race. Absolutely. Well, again, I'll put all these links on Mark's show notes page. Just type in Mark Raffoff, R-A-F-F-A-U-F, and you'll find everything there. Get your hands on this book. Shout out to our friends at Octane Press. Again, IMSA 1969 to 1989. Absolutely brilliant. And if you missed my talk with Mitch Bishop last week, Go back. You can find it on the Cars Yeah website. Great to get his perspective on this magnificent book as well. Mark, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your incredible life with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. All righty. Thanks for having me and uh, enjoyed it immensely. You're welcome. You take care of your cars. But who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.